with 12-speed Shimano shifting for an extra hill climb and low and a flat-out high. 12-speed Handlebars fully padded, spongy soft, and a double comfort racing saddle. It's the life of with the from Huffy, building the bikes America likes. Welcome to Frequency 13, a safe space for Generation X, episode 11. So I, you know, this is going to be a tough episode. I almost, uh, I almost put it off another day. We've got thunderstorms. It's that time of year. And in this, you know, it's good to have. We're getting a lot of rain out of the deals, but it's got this underlying, uh, you know, thunder going on and whatnot. So I hopefully, hopefully you don't hear it and have to put up with it. <laughs> uh, but if you, if you hear a thunderclap or uh, we get into a little hail, forgive me. Uh, hopefully we don't get any hail. I really don't care for hail. <laughs> Those roofs are expensive, man. Yeah, man, last year we had one come through. And it was what they got, like a microburst or something. It blew over part of my fence. It destroyed a, like a shelter thing we had in the backyard. Oh man, it was a mess. Every, I mean, it was just, just a cleanup nightmare. No big deal. I mean, we got it done. Uh, every trampoline in the neighborhood went to the next yard. <laughs> and mine was, mine was actually, you know, staked down pretty well. It was one of the last ones to leave the, to get airborne, but it uh, so I had these straps on there, and it was blowing so hard that it would decompress those straps, and then pretty soon that the little hook on them just came came loose. They were like those little ratchet straps you tie stuff down with, and I had this dog stake thing. The dog stake, right where you would tie a dog out, it stayed in the ground, but the little compression thing, I guess I just didn't have it ratcheted tight enough because it took off, man. <laughs> it was sad to watch. The good thing is nobody's houses were were damaged. There might've been, I don't even think there was roof damage. I didn't have any roof damage. It was pretty good. But uh, anyway, so if you hear that, it's that time of year, man. Sorry about it. Uh, this week, this week we're going to do, we're going to do some fun stuff. We've got, we're going to do a deep dive into Huffy bicycles and we're going to talk about why I love Huffy bicycles. Uh, and then we're going to talk about bicycle tour travelogues or journals or reports, whatever you want to call them. Well, I was looking up you know, I was doing some research on Huffy and I found this guy, Jeff Teal, and he's got a bicycle uh, journal out there. He does. He has a bunch of them, but this one specific caught my eye because of the Huffy. And, and honestly, I got lost for a day and a half because I read the entire thing. It cost me two nights of work. I mean, basically, I couldn't do anything else because I'm reading this guy's. And they're interesting. We'll talk about why I like those two. And then, uh, of course, the Pepsi challenge in my dream of owning a new BMX bike. <laughs> so we'll get to that. That that all ties together. And then tonight, let's uh, let's let's do Simpsons first, if that's cool. Let's do Simpsons first. And first of all, the last last week's episode was about the grease business. Remember that? Season ten, episode one. Homer decides to start a grease business when he finds out that people pay money for uh, you know grease from fryers and things. <laughs> And there's a lot of funny stuff in there, right? He's looking at this pimply-faced kid. And I can say that because I was a pimply-faced kid. And he, he's staring at him over the counter. He says, man, you're greasy. And he's just thinking about how much money he's going to make off this kid's face. And it's not funny. If you have acne, it really, that joke isn't funny. I can laugh at it now because I'm old. But when I was a kid, that was not a funny joke. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that right now. It, it hurt. <laughs> so forgive me if you... uh 
if you're pimply uh, or if you still have flashbacks and uh, you know, PTSD from your pimples, that'll happen too. Anyway, so he, uh, <laughs> the question I asked, so he takes his first load of grease, which is several cans, uh, to the rendering plant, and they're going to pay him for it. Now, what I, my question was, how much, how much money did Homer get from the rendering plant for his grease? And remember, he, he at least cooked a side of bacon to get the grease off of that, plus other things, right? Uh, how much money did he get from the rendering plant? Uh, <laughs> 63 cents. <laughs> he lost a day's work, at least, and he got 63 cents, and he was in the grease business. Now, how many, this was the bonus question, how many pounds of grease did he sell? Four pounds. So I didn't do the math. I should have done that. But 63 cents divided by four, two goes into three, minus four, 16, niner. You know, you get it. It's not very much. <laughs> so I hope you got that one right. There's still no prize. There's still no prize. I'm I'm just, I'm horrible at that. I got to think about that a little more, but. You get bragging rights, you know, certainly go over to the uh, go over to the Facebook page, do a little bragging that you got it right. Uh, I'd love to hear about it or tweet me. All right. So the next next week's question, Simpsons fans, season 11, episode five, E-I-E-I Doe. I've been wanting to do this one for a while. I was going to do bicycle related and there's some good ones out there. Like when, when Bart's bike gets ran over by the street sweeper and it looks really shiny and he hops on it and it falls apart. But I decided not to, I'm going to save it. So we, we, we basically, the idea of this one, uh, let me, let me get my notes where I could see them. I like to see my notes. I like to see my notes when I do stuff. That's my Forrest Gump. So forgive me. So anyway, during this episode, uh, we see Homer and Marge and family. They go to this Zorro movie, right? And then after that, Homer walks out and he starts imitating Zorro. And so he starts, you know, he's slapping people and challenging them to a duel. And he does that to Snake. Oh, there goes that thunder. He slaps Snake around and Snake backs down. So he's like, oh, man, this is something cool. So he starts jumping lines and everything. Well, he slaps the wrong guy with his glove. It's some southern gun-toting colonel, and he says, yeah, I accept your challenge. Uh, pistols at dawn. <laughs> so the next day, we see this, well, that night, we see this uh, RV parked outside of the Simpsons place, and it's the colonel and his wife, and they're sitting on their lawn chairs waiting for the duel, and it's got a license plate. And anyways, uh, he he sneaks away you know, under a Christmas tree, and they they drive off, and they figure out where they're going to live now, because otherwise Homer has to face his, his dueling companion, right? So they end up on Grandpa's old farm, and it doesn't grow anything. And they, you know, try, he's going to be a farmer, and he tries a few things, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, but it's not working out so well. So they, uh, he, he actually calls Lenny and and asks uh, ask him to send him some plutonium <laughs> to help him grow. And eventually, you know, stuff starts to grow, and he makes a product called Tamaco. Now, there's some of the answers in the question here, but uh, my question to you is, and this was a great product, too, because it was disgusting to taste, it was delicious to eat, it was horrible to eat, and it was addictive. So what three ingredients are needed to make a satisfying, smooth vegetable that is so darn addictive? What three ingredients are needed to make the satisfying, smooth vegetable that is so darn addictive. 
That'll be uh, next week's question. So uh, <laughs> well, let me know if you get it. Let me know what you think of the episode. I I absolutely love that one, man. It's It literally stands up as, as one of the, the true classics of The Simpsons. But, uh, you know, before we get started with Huffy Bicycles, folks, I just got to take a second uh, and talk about some very unfortunate news about our sponsor, Paul H. Chesterfield, Jr., is being indicted, well, excuse me, investigated for some unpleasantness. Uh, it was trumped up by what I think the vultures at the Big Pen and Ink Company alleging improper treatment of workers in his Chesterfield Number no. 2 pencil factory. Now, God bless Mr. Chesterfield and, and Godspeed, sir. And, and I want you to know, Mr. Chesterfield, we are with you here at Frequency 13. And uh, without your generous endowment, things have become a little tight here. And you know, Lorraine has just absolutely been beside herself. But, you know, folks, we, we've been cutting uh, cutting costs here at Frequency 13 Studios to make sure that, you know, we can keep, comp- keep uh, pumping out first-rate entertainment to you, the Frequency 13 listener. Uh, Lorraine, for example, has taken to reusing her plastic straws in her, her can of tab. And I, of course, do my part by limit- limiting my Calgon bubble baths to uh, to five a day. So we're 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 hanging in there for you. And we can't wait to have you back on the show and and uh, and sponsor a, another episode of Frequency Thirteen. But in the meantime, sir, Godspeed. All right, back to back to Huffy bicycles. Now, when you think of Huffy bicycles, you probably have an image of a cheap, inexpensive bike, right? I mean. Maybe even a kid's bike. Maybe uh, that bike hanging in your garage right now is a Huffy. It's it's honestly, everybody gives them, if you're a bicyclist like I am, everybody, you give them a hard time. Most people do. They don't have anything good to say about Huffy bicycles. But the fact of the matter is, oftentimes, that is a person's first bicycle. That is their first entry into riding bicycles. And what a beautiful thing uh, to ride a bike, man. I, I absolutely love it. And there's a... It's just it's it's one of those things that you can't truly put your fingers on why why you love it. It's that sense of freedom. It's a, definitely a kid's first taste of freedom when you give them a bike and they're pedaling and they're going faster than they could walk, right? And they're balancing and you know, you start exploring the neighborhood and, and moving around. But man, you know, whoa, whoa. That shook the house. That was a scary thunder clapper right there. That was a scary thunder clapper. So like I mentioned before, my first Huffy was the Huffy Skyhawk, okay? And it was uh, it was in the pinnacle, really, of Huffy's, of the Huffy Bicycle Company. It was in the, the late 70s, and we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, so I've got a, a place in my heart for Huffy, man. I've had a couple. My first, you know, it wasn't really a mountain bike, but I called it a mountain bike. It was kind of along those lines. It was a Huffy. I got to tell you, so whatever, you know, I'm, I'm an adult and, you know, I have a job, uh, at least today I have a job. I don't know how this is going to go. We're still, <laughs> still got our hands up in the air about that one, don't we, in this country. I don't think we're finished with the economic downturn, which is interesting because I think some of the things that happened with, uh, with Huffy, you know, are right along those lines. So, so in 19, uh, was it 24, that's when, you know, he started the, Huffman Manufacturing Company, 
And prior to that, you know, because the, the company he'd bought in, in 87 was the Davis Sewing Machine Company. So he changed the name to Huffy Manufa- Huffman Manufacturing and started making stuff that, you know, like they made the spout. They invented it, the rigid spout. So do you remember those oil cans your your dad or your grandpa had, right? If you're Gen Xer, you know what I'm talking about. They were made out of paper and they had metal on each side. And you had to you, you crack the can with a can opener. Well, if you if you had one, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But there was those spouts that went on there. That was a derivative product of the big ones that the Huffman Manufacturing Company made for the forty or whatever they are gallon barrels of oil. Because I mean, that's how you got the oil out. It wasn't like it. It's nothing like it is today, right? Easy. But anyway, so in Dayton Manufacturing, that had this factory, and so by uh, by thirty four, by nineteen thirty four. He had made plans to start manufacturing bicycles, thinking that they would be a popular mode of transportation during the Depression. Now, we're, they haven't called it a Depression yet, but we're obviously in an economic downturn. And you know what's selling like crazy right now? Bicycles. So, again, I mean, there's a lot of parallels here, right? So they started out producing only 12 bikes per day. <laughs> 12 bikes per day. Now, uh, you know what? I didn't bring this up, but within two years, they were producing 200 bikes per day, uh, which, you know, that's that's a lot of bikes any way you look at it. 200 bikes a day is a lot of bikes a day. Now, that's not when you think about the. When you think about the number of bikes that, that are being made in this country uh, up to this point, even even this year. Right. Let me tell. I'll tell you how many there were. I'm going to tell you because I've got it. I've got it. Uh, bicycles produced this year. Fifty eight million. That's right. Fifty eight million with an M produced this year. And they're, they're selling like crazy. But anyway, so they were ahead of their time. Right. Mr. Huffman was. And so he was making he made bicycles. And, you know, the, they eventually He'd kind of move this thing into like an assembly line thing by the early 40s. And then, you know, they actually, well, they stopped making bicycles for a short period because they were making uh, primers for artillery shells, uh, which is, you know, what most manufacturing companies were doing. They were vying for these government contracts at that time. Yeah, in fact, you remember it kind of went to Silly Putty. Remember that episode? So that's kind of kind of how that came. The government was looking for a replacement for rubber because that was that's the way it was at the time. Anyway, so... The government actually bought four thousand bicycles uh, from from Huffman Huffman Sales, <coughs> excuse me, Huffman Manufacturing. And anyway, over time, they continued to make bicycles. Blah 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 blah. And they got into this whole post war recession thing and uh, and whatnot, and and had to figure out how to survive there. And they started making lawnmowers in 49. And they, you know, they, they did that. Eventually, they ended up buying True Temper, too. That was a whole other story. But uh, we're, we're going to focus on bicycles this much. Now, in, in 1960, Huffman was the third largest bike manufacturer in the United States. In 1962, Horace Huffman Jr. was named chairman. And Frederick C. Smith became the president CEO. And Smith was the materials manager in the the pre-war period. So, whoa, shit, that one's close. Shaking the whole house. Feels like it's right under my feet when that one goes off. All right, so I shouldn't be using a microphone and all this metal stuff while I'm 
<laughs> podcasting. Anyway, so right, so between the and then let's let's get let's just get up to it. I'm getting that's that's boring. That shit's boring. All right, let's focus. So the the 1960s and early 70s, uh, Huffman started you know had some really good growth because they were selling more adult bicycles. Kind of like now, people were turning to bikes for exercise and because they wanted to cut energy costs. Sound familiar? Remember gas in the 70s, how it got really expensive in those lines you see pictures of? I don't remember it. I was too small, but I kind of I do, right? Does that make sense? And cars started getting smaller. Remember the Pinto, things like that. But anyway, so half of all the bicycles sold in the United States were sold through independent bike shops that offered personal service, right? We call them LBS now, local bike stores. And that's still a thing if you're a bicyclist. You know, you tell people to always go to the local because you want to keep them in business, right? And that's true. But most bikes are made in, <laughs> most bikes are sold at department stores these days. So in the 70s, that's when these mass merchants, you know, came of age. And they started stocking, you know, all kinds of consumer goods at discount prices. At the time, Raleigh, Raleigh Cycle was, you know, really the main supplier to the independent shops. So Huffman decided to set their sights on real retail chains. And they developed this 10-speed that was going to be easy to build. It didn't take a whole lot of tools to do it. So, you know, you, the kids in the back or whatever, I probably didn't have kids back then. They had actual professionals. But they would they would assemble the bikes at the, at the department store, right? Kmart was my favorite, of course, during the uh, 70s. <clears throat> and anyway, so... They did a they did a hell of a hell of a business there, and then by '74 we're back into a recession, and then we had a slump. So bicycle sales between '73 and '75 dropped 50 percent. So we get to 1977, and now's when my story begins because in '77 uh, they decided to start doing well a couple things. They started to focus back on kids' bikes, okay, and they came out with the Thunder trail bike. Okay. <laughs> That's right. The thunder trail. Do you remember that thing? It had the waffle grips on it and everything else. It was a, it was a, it had a, like, look at motocross bike, like motocross. I mean, like a motorcycle and it had a number plate on it. It had the motorcycle looking seat uh, and it had the waffle grips. I mean, it was cool. I never had one. I really wanted one, but I, you saw a lot of them around. Again, I had the Huffy Skyhawk, which was closer to a uh, to a, to a Schwinn type, uh, type of bike with a banana seat. Right. So, uh, anyway, <clears throat> that's when they took off and they were still being made in America and they were quality bikes and, and the Japanese and foreign manufacturers had kind of dropped out of the, dropped out of the game a little bit because the United States had started putting, uh, putting safety requirements on bicycles, children's toys, and it had to be safe. And that was kind of a new thing. So that dumped a lot of the foreign manufacturers because today we don't think about Chinese manufacturing as being second rate and poor quality. But at the time, it truly was. It wasn't just that we thought it was. It really was a poor quality. I mean, it was definitely second rate. Today, hell, our iPhones, all of the highest quality goods we have are made in China, right? It's complete turnaround. But at the time, right, they were they were just not very well well made. So being made in America still meant something. It was still a standard, still employed a lot of people. So here we are, Huffman, or excuse me, became Huffy Company, right, et cetera, et cetera. They still sell bicycles today. Most bicycles, even back then, were sold under, you know, they, so Huffy was making bicycles, about half their, their bikes were actually being sold to, uh, 
you know, other, other, under other names. So it was an OEM. So if you're a Montgomery Ward bike, right, you would, uh, your bike would be, it would be called the open road, but it was made by distributed by Montgomery Ward, but it was made by Huffy. That's where most bikes were made. So everyone had a, had a, their own version of a Huffy because Huffy is, I mean, dude, I'm telling you, it's huge. Now, some of you may have had a really fancy bike as a kid. My kids actually, let me think about it. No, I think my daughter, her first bike might have been a Huffy. After that, she's been in treks and, you know, finer bikes so I can repair them. Because that is one one truth, is they're a little harder to maintain the cheap bikes. In most bike stores, you know, kind of they're snotty with you. There is one in Manhattan, Kansas, however, that gets it. And there's others out there, too. They're like, well, since about, you know, 50% or 60% of bikes are sold or more are sold in department stores, why in the hell wouldn't we fix them, right? It's like it's a stream of income. Uh, the problem really lies in the fact that bikes have become so cheap uh, over the years, much cheaper than they were in the 70s. So, you know, you go spend $120 on a bike. Well, you think about it. I mean, it's if you want to get something fixed, it's going to cost you $40, $50. Jesus. I mean, at some point, you just go buy a new bike, right? So, so that takes us to... <clears throat> That, I mean, that's Huffy. That's the deep dive on Huffy. Probably heavier than you wanted to hear, but and there no real, you know, no real fun there, right? But it, it gets us to this next piece here, and it's about uh, bicycle journals. So I read my first bicycle journals in the late 90s. I was riding my bike. I had a mountain bike, and I put a rack on it, and I was riding. It was a, uh, what the hell was I riding at the time? It was Gary Fisher. Uh, Big Sur was the name of the bike. Great mountain bike, <clears throat> but I was using it for everything. I only had one bike, so I, I was riding it to work. And I started, I found that, you know, internet was new. And so there was, wasn't a whole, I mean, wasn't new, new, but new enough that there wasn't a million blogs. Blogs, I mean, you didn't think about blogs, but I did run into a couple of travel journals along the way. And I loved them, right? Just something about in the middle of the winter, I was in Colorado at the time, middle of the winter, and being able to read about, you know, I've got spring fever. I want to be outside in the summer on my bike. And I get to sit there and read about other people doing that, which was kind of cool. And and it was just you know, really just somebody's journal of what they were seeing day to day on the road and were the places they would stop. Well, I found a I found one recently that struck me. And I've 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 read a lot of these things man, over the years. I really have. But when I was when I was searching doing some research on Huffy, which by the way just recently celebrated 125 years, which is kind of cool. And there's a great little YouTube video there that really speaks to you know, the humility of the, of the bicycle. But anyway, this guy, Jeff Teal, T-E-E-L, uh, he, uh, I find his travel journal. He calls them reports or whatever, and that's fine. But dude, he is, I mean, he is like Mr. Regular Guy. He's the guy that you would see down the street just tinkering in the yard, you know. He is not flashy. He is a regular church-going kind of guy, you know. But what, what struck me was this, you know, First of all, let's talk about some of the turnoffs I have with some cycling journals. Sometimes people do things to call themselves out, right? They want to say, hey, look at me, look at me, I'm saving the environment. Or, hey, look at me, I'm I'm doing this and, you know, I did it a, a special way or whatever. And I don't know, man, they're just, when when people do those, they're kind of off-putting to tell you the truth. I, I get why they do it, but, 
you know, <laughs> it's like, don't be preachy and don't guilt trip, you know, if you want somebody to read your stuff. That's just me. Anyway, um, I shouldn't have said that. Forgive me. But this guy doesn't do that. He is literally a regular guy, and he's got this single speed, and he wasn't sure if the year was a 77 or 78 Montgomery Ward bike. And it was made obviously made by Huffy that he had bought at a catalog store in El Paso, Illinois. Now, <laughs> he's getting ready to do like a thousand mile tour on this thing, right? And he, uh, ah, dang it, man. I just, I love this guy. He, he's got it all rigged up with, uh, he's got his GPSs and he doesn't have fancy state of the art GPSs. One of them is an old GPS map. And the other one is a DeLorme PN60, I believe it was, uh, on there. If you don't even think about those things, those are very old. The old GPS, I think it was the third map 30. I had one of those. I, I didn't have the map. I had the one before that, just had the compass on it. They're horrible. They're absolutely horrible. They take so much effort to do anything. What you have today on your phone is so superior. Well, it's not true either because you don't have buttons and it's not dedicated and the battery life sucks. But forget about all that. <laughs> These things were, but he's figured out how to do them. He's got them all set up and he's got his little battery charger in there. He uses a dynamo to charge stuff when he's going on his tour. And this, so first of all, his bike's like 50 plus pounds, man. I mean, it's absolute. And that, dude, that's before he puts his gear on it. This thing is heavy and it's single speed. Did I mention that? He's touring on a single speed bike. That's right. You need to look this thing up. You'll see the show notes in there, but go take a look at his, at his bike, his Montgomery Ward bike, single speed. He's going to do this tour. He wears regular boots. You know, like, you know, like Dickie's clothes. You know what I'm talking about? Like a, a mechanic shirt and pants. That's kind of how, how he seems to dress in the things. He doesn't do a whole lot of selfies. He does a couple. The, what I would say is this. If he bought that bike himself in 77 and 78, you look at his face. He has like had no stress in his life. I swear to God, because he has no wrinkles. So talk about good living. He lives in Southern Illinois, you know, kind of the the Bible Belt type of guy. Man, just, I mean, I just love to meet this guy because he looks like probably the nicest human being you could ever, ever want, ever hope to meet. Really, really is what, what he comes off as. So, uh, anyway, so he's got, he's got his, uh, he's got his Huffy, he's got it ready to go and he takes off on the road and he makes these, these journals. And one of the things that, you know, I guess if there's one word I could say about this guy it's his humility because the whole time in his travel journals, he doesn't call out the fact that he's on this old bike, which is like a recycled bike. Hell, let me tell you what he did with his seat post. So he wanted a longer seat post on the bike. You know what he does? He couldn't find one that actually fits because it was a very you know specific size back then for this specific bike. So it wasn't a standard dimension. He, <laughs> he takes a piece of pipe <laughs> and converts it into a seat post, which is... If you know anything about bikes, I mean, that's literally what it is, right? But just a black metal pipe is his seat post, man. <laughs> and he, so everything is recycled. People donated to him like these sweet tea jugs to carry his water because he, I'm telling you, the dude doesn't waste anything. And he says at one point in time, this is toward the end, he orders uh, the breakfast deluxe and it's got orange juice and coffee. And he says, once again, this is a quote, once again, I wasn't able to finish the potatoes. In hindsight, I should have probably asked that they not include those. I mean, who does that? People just throw that crap away, right? Uh, I mean, he, I'm, I'm telling you, this guy is like the ultimate recycler, environmentalist guy, but doesn't once call it out. Doesn't once point to himself 
and say, yeah, yeah, this is me. Look what I'm doing. But man, go take a look. I don't, I, I, there's a way to donate. I don't know if that donates to him or to the site. I'm definitely going to be reaching out to this guy, but he, he does a great job. And then his photography, I got to tell you, I think he's taking them with his phone. There's some, you know, certainly some technical issues that I notice because I notice those kinds of things with dynamic range and whatnot. But yeah, I think he's doing his whole journal on the smartphone too. But he, everything he has is well thought out. He cares about it. He's not out buying the latest and greatest anything. He's making everything work. You know, we talk about quality on another podcast. And I think about it a lot as a backpacker. You know, I'm always looking to try to get, you know, the best I can get quality wise. Uh, sometimes I realize and I, and I get in my head that I don't need that, right? Most of the time I'm too stupid to do that. But when I do, I feel a lot better about myself. Our car camping tent is a Coleman, for example, you know, costs like 150 bucks. And I could have went to REI and spent, you know, five or $600 on a car camping tent, you know, for quote unquote better quality. But my argument is, I don't think it really is better quality because when you start getting those big heavy tents, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And you can repair them anyway. And that's another thing about this guy. He repairs stuff. He doesn't waste anything. He doesn't throw things away. You know, he gets every inch he can out of everything he does. And I, what a, what a way to live, right? What a way to live, man. Uh, I just wish I could be more like that. I hope I hope someday I can. I really do. But anyway, give that guy give that guy a read. Give that guy a read. I'm going to link to his travel journals. Uh, he's got a bunch of others as well, and I haven't read all those. But uh, anyway, Jeff, keep on rolling, brother. Never change. Whatever you do, never change. This is the taste. This is the test. Pepsi versus Coke, the Pepsi Challenge. And all across America, more people pick Pepsi. Pepsi. Time after time after time. Pepsi Cola. Oh, what a time. It's gonna be Pepsi now. The winning taste is Pepsi. It's gonna be, gonna be, gonna be Pepsi now. Taste the Pepsi giving. It's gonna be, gotta be, gonna be Pepsi now. (laughs) Remember the Pepsi Challenge? I've got a story about the Pepsi challenge, man. I, uh, this is, I learned a lot of lessons during the Pepsi challenge. Now, not the, not the taste test, right? I don't really care about that. In fact, you know, I, I grew up in, in Salt Lake City and, and we were a Mormon family. We were, it was, it was frowned upon to drink caffeinated beverages because of something that the, the church called the word of wisdom. And it was supposed to be like hot drinks and whatnot, but they took it to mean because coffee's a hot drink and so is tea and they have caffeine. Anything with caffeine was bad. So you weren't you weren't supposed to drink Pepsi and Coke, right? Well, what kid doesn't want to drink Pepsi and Coke? That's right. <laughs> anyway, so this okay, this is kind of this is embarrassing and this maybe speaks to my <laughs> speaks to me a little bit, but I uh there was the, there was this drink called Pepsi Light at the time. And it had like, it was a lemon flavored Pepsi. If you've never seen the cans, go take a look. They're pretty interesting. They were like a light blue with a yellow color. And it's interesting because something else I'm going to talk about has those same colors, but Pepsi, Pepsi Light is in, I, I was able to convince my grandmother who I lived with that that was caffeine free. <laughs> and she believed me. Um, so yeah, I, I knew absolutely well that it wasn't, and she's passed away now, so God rest her soul. But <laughs> I convinced her that it was caffeine-free, and I told her about this contest, and you had to, you know, 
basically what it was is you would pop the bottle caps off and on the back of the bottle cap, you could, you know, you peeled something off and it would, it would tell you there was a, a letter and you had to spell challenge. Okay. With the letters or sometimes there was a free Pepsi or whatever, right. Uh, under the lid and maybe some other prizes too. I don't even remember, but my goal was to spell challenge out because it was worth like $200,000. Okay. And at the time, you know, we, I mean, trust me, not things were tight in our house. There was no way that, uh, you know, that money would have made a big difference. And so the idea behind my nefarious behavior of lying about the caffeine in the, in the Pepsi, uh, Pepsi light was that if I could win this contest, I'd have enough money to buy our family a new house. Cause we lived in a rough house, man. It was really falling apart, poorly maintained, just old, right? Just, we couldn't afford to fix it up or whatever. So I'm thinking, okay, we can, you know, I can do that. And then, and not only we, they, you know, cause then everybody's going to be so happy with the new house that I'll be able to go spend $200 of the 200,000 for a Huffy Pro Thunder. That's right. The Huffy Pro Thunder, you know, the one on display up on the higher level at Kmart, right? It wasn't on the bottom, so you can go ride it around. They kept that up top because they knew kids like me would be running around ripping through there. But this thing was beautiful. It had a yellow frame on it. It had blue tires, blue seat, blue crank. It had the pad, right? Remember the pads? So it had one on the gooseneck. It had one on the on the bottom tube. And it had a V bar, right? Those BMX bars, it had a V version of it. Dude, this thing was so sexy. <laughs> and I every time we go to Kmart, right, I would I would sit and stare at it while grandma went shopping and looked at the blue light specials and those things. I'd be staring, I'd be over in the toy aisle, of course, you know, looking for Hot Wheels, or I'd be staring at the Pro Thunder, dreaming about what how cool that would be and just drooling over it. And then me and my buddies, we'd ride our bikes over to the hills and talk about how cool it would be to have the the, the Pro Thunder too, because man, that looks sexy. So anyway, Thunder was certainly a name that that Huffy liked to use. <laughs> and uh so I kept playing the game and I found out as time went on that there was one letter. It was very difficult to get the letter A. And without the letter A, the whole thing was pointless. And so eventually I became jaded enough. And this is maybe this is why, maybe this is why our generation, you know, is kind of like, eh, you know what I mean? We just, we're a little pessimistic about a lot of things, right? I mean, <laughs> after the 70s, the 80s came along and, you know, super inflation and, your parents couldn't get a mortgage without paying 20% interest or whatever. I mean, it was ridiculous. So anyway, I learned, and I was very young during this contest. This is 79 or 80, so I was nine or nine, or nine years old, I'd say, playing this contest. And I realized that there was no way that I was going to get the A. That's That was the secret letter. So I had all these other doubles of everything, but no A. Regardless, so by this time... <laughs> My, uh, I think it was my uncle Frank. That son of a, <laughs> he came over and he queered the deal. He saw, he saw me guzzling down a Pepsi Light, and he says, "What are you letting Jason drink caffeine for?" And my grandmother said, "Oh, it's caffeine free." No, it's not. He says. <laughs> so the jig was up. Took the bottle right out from under my lips, man. <laughs> so I didn't get my Pro Thunder. I didn't get a drink of Pepsi Light. But that's okay. You know, it all worked out. <laughs> and so. 
anyway, I yeah, the money would have changed me if we would have won the money. I'd have been rolling legit in my on my pro thunder. But <laughs> anyway, I hope you guys are having as much fun as I as I am. And if you are, please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly charitable, rate five stars and give the show a glowing review and to tell your friends about the show. And if you're on Facebook, look up the show and join and like the page at Frequency 13. Would love to interact with you there. And on my blog, www.frequency13.com, I do select episodes. I write an expanded version of the show notes, kind of a blog post uh, and whatnot. I'm also on Twitter at Frequency13POD, or you can certainly email me at freq13fm at gmail.com. I hope the thunder today didn't didn't make too much uh, uh, noise and ruin your listening experience. Interesting we talked about the pro thunder at the same time. Anyway, (laughs) thanks again, man. And hey, all the best.